0: Welcome to Belly Dance Alchemy, a captivating blend of the best elements of career and professional development and the magic of belly dance. I'm your host, Kelly Nottingham. Ready to make your day job sparkle and your dance life grow in new and inspiring ways? Let's see what we can brew up. Put up your dukes, folks, because today is all about conflict. Yes, conflict, everyone's favorite topic, but hey, that's why we need to discuss it, because it's part of life, no matter how much we don't like it or try to avoid it. And in today's episode, we're actually going to talk about the good sides of conflict, how it can be a beneficial part of life. Yes, indeed. So let's jump in with what we're covering today. What conflict is, the ways we naturally respond to conflict, how conflict can be beneficial, and how to make conflicts successful and productive. So let's start off with understanding what conflict is. Throughout the episode today, I'm going to be distilling some truths for you, and here is the first big one. People perceive conflict in different ways. Some people will see conflict as a fight or a situation for potential permanent damage to relationships, Where other people just see the same situation as a difference of opinion, or someone else may see a fun and challenging opportunity to share ideas in a passionate way. Needless to say, even these different approaches to conflict can cause conflict. Ever hear someone say, why aren't you upset? I'm upset. You should be upset. And that then starts an argument? Yep, exactly. Conflict is essentially a difference of opinions, of needs, or of priorities. Yes, that's a super simple way of looking at it, but when we think of conflict, we're usually thinking about the specifics of a particular conflict and confusing the people and personalities involved in that conflict with the real root issues of why that situation is turning into conflict in the first place. So think about it this way. There are two sources of conflict: external or situational and internal emotion-based. External conflicts are the situations that we find ourselves in and look like not enough resources or basically fighting because of scarcity. Undefined or unclear goals, unclear roles and responsibilities. So maybe a lopsided division of work, for example. Unclear authority or decision-making, aka too many cooks in the kitchen. Now, internal conflict lives inside us, and comes from inside us. It's created from our reactions to either an external situation or another person and is made up of two parts, interpersonal and self-conflict. Now, interpersonal conflicts are between people, and self-conflict happens within ourselves with ourselves. So different types of internal conflict might look like communication breakdowns between people or misunderstanding someone's motivations, or making assumptions about others, trying to control others, or letting your ego take the wheel and drive. And What's interesting is how quickly external conflicts will turn into internal conflicts. So let's look at an example. Let's say that you're leading a committee that's been tasked with putting together a social event, something fun, where your whole group will be able to get together and socialize. In your first chat with the committee, you've already gathered tons of great ideas for what the event could be like. A big outdoor picnic complete with a DJ and some carnival games, matching t-shirts for everyone, and a happy hour with free drinks to finish off the day. Planning has officially begun when the financial bombshell drops. There's a very limited budget for this event, let's say $1000. The committee, previously excited now looks around at, oh, they're great ideas and realizes that most of that is not going to happen now. One person gets angry that they weren't told about the budget sooner and wonders why they didn't have any say in the budget at all. One person is frustrated that the budget is so small when they're continually told that the happiness of the group is super important. If it's so important, why isn't it funded well? Another person who did help with the budget Can't say anything because the overall budget spending is confidential. But the plan is that this money saved can hopefully go to raises for everyone. But she can't tell anyone that and feels really guilty because of it. One person says, well, we'll just have to do a potluck then. Another person who got food poisoning from the last potluck says no. The person who suggested the DJ says that they still insist that there be a DJ or there just won't be a party and is starting to get loud about it. The t-shirt person still wants to have t-shirts because everyone loves t-shirts. The free drinks person is talking to anyone who will listen to pressure them to vote for the open bar. And the person who suggested Carnival Games has completely given up and is sitting on her phone playing Sudoku and hoping that the whole thing will just fall through. So there are external conflicts in this situation. Namely, limited resources and undisclosed priorities behind the scenes of the budget. There are also some possible decision-making and authority conflicts happening. Those external conflicts are causing the internal and interpersonal conflicts that are now causing you as the committee lead to want to run out of the room screaming. So what are some conflicts, either big or small, that you are facing right now? Are those conflicts internal within yourself? Now self-conflict. Can show up as guilt or berating yourself or trying to justify your own behaviors to yourself? Are the conflicts interpersonal between you and someone else? And at the root of that conflict, is there possibly an external situation like scarcity or lack of decision making that's causing the internal conflicts to happen? Think of at least one conflict you're experiencing because we're going to move on to look at the ways we respond to conflict. One of the most popular models for our reactions to conflict is the Thomas Kilman conflict model created by Kenneth Thomas and Ralph Kilman. It says that there are five different responses to conflict. As I go through this list, please keep a couple of things in mind. First, none of these are necessarily right or wrong responses. There are situations where each of them can be appropriate. More on that later. Second, which one is the one you default to most often? And is it necessarily the most effective way to deal with the conflicts you come up against? So here are the five responses in the Thomas Kilman conflict model. Number one, competing. This is where a person wants to meet their own needs, whether the other person's needs in the conflict are met or not. I like to think of this as the I win, you lose scenario. Number two, accommodating. People who respond in this way neglect their own needs in order to meet the needs of the other person. In other words, you win, I lose. Number three, avoiding. This is the person who just doesn't participate in the conflict at all. They leave the situation without resolving anything. This could be seen as the we all lose because nobody's needs are being met and the status quo continues. But and I'll go into this more in a minute, avoiding can also be a solid strategy to use. Number four, collaborating. This response seeks to find a we-all-win-everything solution that fully meets everyone's needs. Number five, compromising. This response, while it sounds similar to collaborating, isn't quite the same thing. In the compromising response, the goal is just to partially meet the needs of everyone and not take the time or the effort or not be able to get to a we all win everything. It's a nobody really wins, but nobody really loses kind of setup. Everybody gets something, but nobody feels totally satisfied with the outcome. So there we have it. Competing, accommodating, avoiding, collaborating, compromising. Which one do you tend to default to automatically? In your current conflict, which one have you been trying? And is it working? If not, which other response might be worth trying instead? As I mentioned, none of these five responses is necessarily right or wrong. When reading through them, usually collaborating jumps out as the right response. But there are times when the conflict isn't really worth the time or energy to get to a full collaboration, and compromising might be good enough. An emergency situation, like someone threatening you, is not the time for a committee meeting to discuss what to do. That's the time to compete to win. If your needs in a situation are so low cost that they're not really worth pursuing, but another person's needs are much higher value, then accommodating may be appropriate. So for example, we just celebrated my husband's birthday. He loves ice cream, especially bluebell ice cream. It's so good. But I'm trying to avoid sweets. But it's his birthday and he really loves ice cream and you only get one birthday a year. So I bought the ice cream. It's fine and it was delicious. What about avoiding? Oh, yes, there are absolutely times when avoiding a conflict is 100% appropriate. I'm going to be doing an episode on dealing with toxic people in a few months, but let me just throw this out there right now. There are people in this world who thrive on causing conflict. It fulfills one of several possible deep-seated needs for them, including feeling powerful or hiding insecurity or getting attention, lots of ego-driven needs. It's pretty much impossible to win a conflict with a truly toxic person, no matter how hard you try. I'm sure someone listening right now needs to hear this. Avoiding a conflict is absolutely a valid response when dealing with a toxic person. In this instance, I recommend the Rogers model of conflict management. You've heard of Kenny Rogers, right? You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Friends, there are situations where we should engage, hold our cards, play the hand through, and see what happens. But there are those, hopefully, rare times when we need to fold, put the cards down, and walk or run away. This turns avoiding from a we-all-lose situation into a I-win-by-not-wasting-any-more-energy-on-this-and-I-don't-care-what-happens-to-you kind of situation, and sometimes that's the best we can hope for. All right, enough about that. Let's talk about ways that conflict can be beneficial. We tend to think of conflicts as being destructive, but they can actually be very beneficial both to us as individuals and as members of the larger group. So here are some ways conflict can help us if we only let it. Hint, we let it by approaching conflict with these things in mind. Conflict can challenge our viewpoints, assumptions, and beliefs, and therefore help us define our own points of view. For example, just think of any time you've ever had to wrestle with a difference in political views. Until we actually have to address that there are different views in the world and try to understand those views, we don't necessarily have a very clear understanding of our own opinions. Conflict can help us to clarify what we think and believe. Conflict can help us see where our boundaries are. Where do we overstep other people's boundaries? And where do we let people overstep our own? Do we need to set stronger boundaries earlier in a relationship? Do we need to be more assertive or less assertive of our own boundaries? Do we need to change where our boundaries are because they're not really where we want them to be? Conflict can grow our emotional intelligence through listening and understanding someone else's viewpoints. It can help us understand others better, to read people better, to relate to others better, to build that empathy muscle that is so needed for healthy relationships. Conflict can help us identify problems with a system or process or organization and create new innovative ways to solve the problem. Now, this one reminds me of a time when I was working with a team who was having some major interpersonal conflict with another team within the same company. Team A, the team I was working with, was blaming Team B, the other group, of intentionally trying to sabotage them and their work. The rift had gotten so bad that the leaders of the group were concerned that things were really going to come to a head and had brought me in to help. So I started by asking questions. What specifically are they doing to sabotage your team? Turns out Team A needed certain information from Team B, and Team B was providing it to them in a format that required Team A to do a ton of extra work. Team A said that they had told Team B repeatedly that this was the case, but Team B just didn't seem to care and kept providing the data in the format they always had. I asked how they had tried to work through the conflict so far. Team A had basically been sending these passive-aggressive emails to Team B saying how the data wasn't formatted correctly and to fix it. I asked if they had actually talked to Team B about the issue. No. I asked if there was any possibility that it was a technical issue and not a personality-based program of intentional sabotage. Lots of puzzled glances shot around the room on that one. Their homework was to go actually walk the 50 feet to the other team's area and talk to them about the issue. And what do you know? It was, in fact, a technical issue. Their software showed different screens to the two teams, which was causing the entire kerfuffle. So they worked out the ideal way to share the data back and forth so both teams were getting what they needed. No fuss, no muss. One of the team leaders on Team A came to talk to me a few weeks later to tell me how everything had turned out and told me that the whole team hated me for about three days right after our session until they actually went to talk to the other team and realized what was actually at the root of the issue. And being called out for their egos getting in the way, it kind of hurt a little bit. But now they were having regularly scheduled lunches with the other team, regularly scheduled meetings and check-ins, and they were hitting it off like best buddies. Love it. Now, this example shows us how conflict can help us make systems and processes better. Did it have to go as far as it did? No. But this is also a perfect example of how those external conflicts can quickly boil over into interpersonal, emotion-based conflicts, and the external part basically gets lost in the commotion. So let's continue with this example as we expand into ways we can make conflicts successful and productive. All right, are you ready for another big truth? Here you go. The biggest piece of advice I can give on managing conflict is to get clear on your big goal and keep it in mind the entire time. What do I mean by this? Let's revisit teams A and B. What was the goal of their conflict? Well, it had devolved into a group-sized personality conflict with blame being thrown around and huge assumptions being made. The goal of that conflict was to be right. It was all in everyone's ego space. And that's why no progress was being made. However, was being right the correct big goal to focus on? No. The correct big goal was to figure out how to get the right data from team B so the team A didn't have to do extra work. Now, when team A reset their goal, <laughs> willingly or not, to find out the answer to that big goal Everything shifted. The egos fell out of the way, and the solution was much easier to find. So this ties back in with the conflict model. Not the Kenny Rogers one, the Thomas Kelman one. What are you trying to accomplish in the conflict? Being right is starting you down the road of toxicity, and you will end up leaving a trail of broken relationships and burned bridges behind you. Instead, focus on the actual needed result. What is going to solve the root cause of that conflict? Keep that big goal in mind as you go through every interaction. Know how to de-escalate the situation. Now, I could probably do a whole series of episodes on this because this is a huge topic. And when I teach workshops on this, the workshops are far longer than this podcast could be. But here are a few tips. Listen first and listen to learn, not just to respond. You're trying to infer as much as you can about what the other person's concerns are, what their ideas are, and how you can find a mutually agreeable solution. Try to see the other person as a partner to get to a solution instead of your enemy. Be aware of your own default responses. If you know you tend to get defensive really easily, Practice recognizing the signs of defensiveness before it takes over. Maybe you get tightness in your chest or you tense up or you start sweating. The same goes with aggression, your fight response, or unhealthy avoidance, your flight response. Help the other person feel heard and understood. This goes such a long way. Ask questions to clarify and let them explain where they're coming from. Use I statements instead of you statements. So instead of you didn't explain that to me, say, I'd like to get some clarification on this. Be aware of when you're making assumptions about the other person or situation. For example, team A making massive assumptions about the intentions of team B when they had no basis of fact for that assumption. Question your own assumptions. Try to avoid the word but. And instead, try to use the word and. This is a collaborative technique for conflict resolution. And honestly, it's also a fun improv game. Really, look it up. Here's an example going back to our social event planning committee. We need to plan a social event, but we only have $1,000. Versus, we need to plan a social event, and we only have $1,000. But negates everything that goes before it. The and makes even a simple sentence sound more open to ideas and collaboration. Now, this one takes practice, but, haha <laughs> scratch that, and it can be fun to try out. The last idea I'll put here is to stay within your sphere of control. You can control yourself. You can control how you respond to the conflict. You cannot control someone else. You cannot control how someone else responds to the conflict. You can influence them. You may be able to influence the larger external situation too. But trying to control someone else is only going to add to the conflict, not solve it. It's very easy to confuse what we can influence with what we can control. Not sure if this one is relevant to you. Listen for how many times the word should comes out of your mouth or goes through your mind. That's you wanting to control. Are you saying they should or you shouldn't a lot? Maybe you should stop trying to control others and focus on your own sphere of control. All right, it's time to take this one for a final spin. The best recommendation for managing conflict effectively is to understand two things. What your big goal to resolve the conflict is and understanding how you typically respond to conflicts so you can recognize if it's the most effective method for that conflict. So over the next week, I'd like for you to pay attention to those two things. Identify what your big goal is. Do you want to solve the conflict or are you more concerned with being right? How can you refocus on that big goal? And then look at some recent conflicts you've been through to identify your default. Is there one new technique from what we've discussed today that you'd like to try next time? Because there will be a next time, and that's okay. It's part of being human. We don't have to let conflict wear us down. It really can be a way for us to learn about ourselves, learn about others, and leave the situation better than it was before. Good luck with your conflicts, everyone. Talk to you soon. If the pandemic lockdown has made you aware of some major changes you want to make in your career or dance life, I can help. Maybe you realize you hate your current job or that you're holding yourself back from making a big life change that deep down you really want. Now is the time to start building momentum for the future. I've spent my career in professional development and training at Fortune 100 companies, leading training initiatives, and coaching people from frontline employees to executive level leaders to improve their relationship to their work, their colleagues, and themselves. If you think some non-judgmental support and gentle nudging would help you to get going, give me a call to discuss one-on-one coaching and consulting. If your organization or company is ready for an injection of new ideas, energy, and practical tools to improve company culture and efficiency, let's chat. I have off-the-shelf workshops ready to bring to your organization on topics like effective communication, change management, presentation skills, and a suite of leadership development workshops, just to name a few. Custom workshops are also an option. For a 30-minute complimentary consultation, email me at bellydancealchemypodcast at gmail.com. Go to bellydancealchemy.org or reach out to me on LinkedIn or via the links in the podcast notes so we can see if I'm a good fit for your needs. Well, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast and share the magic with your dance friends. If you want more, you can sign up for our mailing list at bellydancealchemy.org or you can email me your suggestions and feedback. I would love to hear from you at bellydancealchemypodcast at gmail.com. Bye.